This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, quick announcement before we start the show. If you've got an Alexa at home and you want to play what next on your device, we have built a new skill just for you. Just say, Alexa, enable what next to enable this show on your device and begin playing it. To play it after that, you can just say, Alexa, play what next. All right, on to the show. Slate's Mark Joseph Stern, he's got what I'd call a love-hate relationship with his home state of Florida. He grew up in the state capital. Tallahassee is is very liberal. It's a little blue bubble. But as soon as you drive outside city limits, you start seeing like Confederate flags. That's like Matt Gates country. That's that's part of where he represents is the panhandle where I grew up. As a teenager, he was already becoming a little bit of a wonk. So when Barack Obama ran for president, Mark earnestly canvassed for him. I mean, what else was I supposed to do in Tallahassee in the aughts? Like, there, there wasn't even a Whole Foods back then. This was pretty much the, uh, the, the only option for fun on the weekends. He'd go door to door with a clipboard and a list of addresses. And I was mostly given um, suspected Democrats or registered Democrats and uh, communities that were known to be pretty blue. And 17-year-old Mark would make his pitch. So a lot of people said, yes, of course, I'm voting for Obama. You know, here's my voter registration card. I'm so excited to do it. And then some people would sort of slam the door in my face. And that's to be expected. But some people would say, and it was a lot for like a a 17-year-old to digest. You know, I would love to vote. You know, I'm a good citizen. But because I had a felony conviction years ago, 10, 20, 30 years ago, not for murder or a sex crime, but for something really stupid, like a like a teenage mistake, like theft. Um, I can't vote. I can never vote again in the state of Florida. I'm permanently barred from exercising my fundamental right to vote. For years, Florida's been known for all the ways it stopped felons from voting. When Mark was out there canvassing for Obama, As many as a million and a half people were being kept away from the polls each election cycle. Today on the show, Mark's going to tell the story of what happened after Florida voted to change these laws back in 2018. Activists say they are still fighting to turn out the vote, which means it's not really clear who's going to be able to show up come election day. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
To get felons back to the polls, advocates came up with a plan to amend Florida's state constitution. That amendment, Amendment 4, got wrapped into a ballot initiative back in 2018, and it passed with an overwhelming 65% of the vote. At the time, Florida was one of just four states that permanently disenfranchised convicted felons. That impacted some voters more than others. It meant one in five black people weren't able to cast a ballot in Florida. Mark says this amendment was necessary because racism had been explicitly spelled out in the state's constitution from the very beginning. Um, am I allowed to give a little history lesson briefly? Do it. Okay, so basically, after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, and after Reconstruction especially, uh, white Democrats, uh, they took control of the government, and they looked around at Black people who were finally participating in politics, and they said, we don't like this at all. We don't like it one bit. And they looked at the Reconstruction Amendments, the the 14th and 15th Amendments especially, which guaranteed the the right to vote to Black people, and noticed that there is an exception. The Constitution allows states to revoke uh, voting rights uh, for rebellion or other crimes, crimes of so-called moral turpitude, for instance, that had no real definition, but it was basically, you see a Black person on the street, you accuse him of being a vagrant, and it all escalates into a felony conviction. So the person goes to prison, and once they're out of prison, the state refuses to give them their voting rights back. That whole system was baked into the Florida Constitution, and it was never changed, at least until Amendment 4, which meant that for many decades, for more than a century, the only way you could get your voting rights back after being convicted of a crime was going in front of this executive committee led by the governor and pleading for him to give you your civil rights back. So I'm wondering if you can describe the reaction when Amendment 4 was passed. I mean, I still remember the lead up to Amendment 4 where people were asking themselves, is this really going to happen? Is Florida really going to give the right to vote to felons? And it just it really seemed like it could go either way. But on election night, November 2018, what do you remember? Well, I remember a lot of cautious optimism because at the same time that Amendment 4 passed easily, right, 65% of the vote, it wasn't even close. Floridians also elected Ron DeSantis to the governor's mansion. Republican. He's a Republican who opposed Amendment 4, flat out said, I don't want it. And it it was very clear to me at that point. Well, two things were very clear. First, Ron DeSantis was going to do what he could with the Republican legislature to sabotage Amendment 4. And second, Ron DeSantis was going to appoint three justices to the Florida Supreme Court who would rubber stamp whatever he and the legislature did to sabotage Amendment 4. So you felt like, okay, this this sounds good, but is it too good to be true? And I have to say, my producer found this sound from back when Amendment 4 passed, and it, it kind of expresses the same thing you are, which is this is a, a pastor, and he was excited that he would finally get the chance to vote. And he said that. But then he also basically doesn't trust it. There was joy beyond measure. But yet and still, there was questions in my mind of what kind of resistance would we face. So there was the great excitement of it. But then I'm saying to myself, can anything come up to hinder 
this long journey that we've been on. It was like he was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, and then the other shoe dropped very quickly. The other shoe turned out to be Republicans saying, not so fast. Even though we've got a new constitutional amendment here, the legislature needs to weigh in. Tell us how to implement that amendment. Is that fair? That is not fair, and it's not true. I mean, if you look at the amendment, uh, it's pretty clear. It says, you know, once the terms of your sentence have been completed, then you get the right to vote back. And so, actually, in, in January 2019, as soon as the amendment took effect, a bunch of counties began registering former felons to vote because they had completed their sentences. They were done with prison. They were done with probation. They were free people. And so the county said, look, this amendment's in the Constitution. It has taken effect and we're going to start registering you. But lawmakers eventually put up another hurdle for ex-felons. They said in order for a person to get their voting rights back, they needed to have paid all fines and fees ordered by the court as part of their sentence. Some advocates compared this to a poll tax, especially because in Florida, felons owe a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. So Florida has arguably the worst system of cash register justice in the country, um, just saddling people with fines and fees the moment they begin uh, to encounter the court system. And you end up having to pay uh, to go to prison. You have to pay for your medical care. You have to pay for a halfway house. I mean, you tick off some of these fees and it is pretty shocking. Like if you have electronic monitoring, you're paying $105 a week. If you're having urinalysis, you're paying 25 bucks each time. Right. And so all of these things add up to hundreds or thousands of dollars that people who are in prison being forced to work for free, by the way, cannot possibly afford. And it traps them in a cycle of debt. And Florida Republicans know that. To be fair, those fees and fines, even the advocates who had been advocating for the amendment, who had been pushing for felons to get the right to vote, they had talked about the importance of having people, quote unquote, finish their sentence or pay these fees and fines. They'd been talking about that all along. So sort of. But there was actually a dispute among advocates of Amendment 4 about the fines and fees question and also the restitution question. And so we're really talking about two different things here. So restitution is the, the money you have to pay back to your victim. You get in a drunk driving accident. You, you have to pay some sum to the person who was hit. Right. Put that in a different bucket. We're talking about the fines and fees bucket. And so what they do is sort of collapse the distinction between fines, fees and restitution. Institution and make it seem like they're all in the same bucket as though the uh, little fees that you get charged that add up to, to that you have to pay to the state of Florida are the same thing as the restitution that you have to pay to the actual victims that you injured. Well, I guess the people in government would say this is how we're funding the government. So it would be unfair to the counties if we took away this money from them. Yes, although the truth is that the counties were not getting that money back already. So there are all of these reports that uh, different counties in the state had produced over the last decade or so showing that there's there's almost no expectation of getting back the vast majority of these fines and fees. Most people do not pay them. They are never able to pay them. There are hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of outstanding fines and fees that the government really never expects to collect. It can refer 
refer them to a collection agency, which can then go after people who owe them. But even then, um, the truth is that most people just can't pay up. They don't have the funds. So when the Florida legislature first got involved with Amendment 4, there was one lawmaker in particular, a Republican, a guy named Jamie Grant, who tried to shape the way voting rights for felons rolled out. Do you know why he got involved? It seems that he had some interest in achieving a compromise here. He was not one of the rabid, sort of openly racist Republicans in the Florida legislature uh, saying, we don't want any of these people to vote. We just want to undo Amendment 4. He was looking for a way to compromise with Democrats to create a system where at least some number of people would still benefit from the amendment, even if a lot of ex-felons still couldn't. He put this exception in there with the help of advocates. What does this exception do? The exception allows courts to waive fines and fees for uh, individuals who are convicted of a felony and still have those those fines and fees pending on their record. Um, you know, the, the courts can't waive restitution. That is owed to the victim. But these fines and fees that are charged by the courts, um, they can be waived by the courts on an individual basis. Individuals have to go before the judge and say, I can't afford to pay this, but I really want my voting rights back. And on a sort of county by county level, courts get to decide if they will grant those waivers or not. You know, at the time this legislation passed, I went back to what you'd written and you were like, this concession, it's just, this is too vague. This isn't going to mean anything. But it seems like now, a few months later, it's actually doing some work. Absolutely. And I think looking back, I, I will admit error. I think I sort of underestimated the desire of liberal counties in Florida to make amendment for the actual law of the land and to implement it as best they could. And it hadn't really occurred to me that if these counties got everyone on board, if they could get public defenders and prosecutors and courts on board, that they could create a system, uh, a so-called rocket docket, wherein individuals could just go boom, boom, boom before the judge, ask for a waiver, get a waiver, and then officials could be waiting outside the courthouse with a voter registration form and get those people on the voter rolls immediately. Now, months after Mark worried that the Florida legislature had basically nullified that constitutional amendment that voters passed, he's noticing something else. Advocates are using this vague concession as a way to speed felons to the polls, whether legislators like it or not. If I'm a felon in Florida, how is this working for me? Um, well, it really depends on which county you live in. So if you're a, an ex-felon in most of Florida's counties, which are mostly small and rural and white and Republican, you don't have much luck. But if you are in the four biggest counties in the state, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and Hillsborough, um, then this is probably going to work really well for you. And you can reach out to the uh, the people who were behind Amendment 4 who are pushing this new kind of fix, and they will get you on that rocket docket. And if you can spare a day to go before a judge and, and ask for this waiver, you'll almost certainly get it. And you can once again, and become a registered voter in Florida. 
And the group is even stepping forward to pay some of the fees and fines, right? Yes, that's right. So that's the other side of this is that, like I said, these fees and fines are often individually fairly small, or at least they seem small to people who have money to spare, right? $40, $50, $60, but then they add up to hundreds or thousands. And so the groups are uh, trying to pay them off with whatever money they have left over and also sort of crowdsource some funding to help get these people uh, a total totally clean record to pay off everything they owe um, so that they can move forward with a a, a truly clean slate and uh, become voters. I was listening to some local public radio reporting on how these special dockets are working. And the audio is great. It was people who hadn't voted in years who were showing up one day, getting everything taken care of right away. Oh, the next election is going to be fun. Oh, boy, is it going to be fun. Changes are about to be made. Donald Trump, <laughs> to the loop. And it struck me that the way that this legislation was structured and the way the advocates are working on it, it's meant that the most incentivized voters are going to be the people showing up and doing this. And also some of the people who are the most disenfranchised, people who maybe can't afford these fees and fines will now have their fees and fines paid. And so they're more likely to get their voting rights back. And it, it'll it be interesting to see who ends up showing up on Election Day, because the kinds of people who will be pushed into the system, it just may look different than we originally anticipated it would when Amendment 4 passed. So I think here we should give a a shout out to WLRN, the station that has been doing such incredible reporting on this in in Florida, really on the front lines. Um, And what we've seen is that even though Amendment 4 was very much framed as a nonpartisan measure and actually had the support of conservative and libertarian groups, um, some Koch-backed groups, uh, for instance, who are sort of saying, well, look, we may be conservative, but this is a conservative value. We want ex-felons to have incentives to participate in in government again. Um, It's mostly Democrats who are benefiting, and that's no surprise because the majority of ex-felons who lack voting rights are Democrats or want to be Democrats. There's a fair amount of data on this. The people who benefit the most from Amendment 4 are probably going to vote for Democrats. And that is what the Florida legislature knew. And the Florida legislature also knew that they had been spending years opposing any kind of reform in this arena. It was Republican governors and Republican lawmakers who were keeping uh, ex-felons from from having any avenue uh, of relief here for so many decades. And I think they were afraid that as soon as these ex-felons finally did have their voting rights restored, that they were going to turn around and, and vote Republicans out of office. Is there time for other counties, Republican counties, to step in here and coordinate and do something more? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's plenty of time. The registration deadline is is still a long ways away. But I guess I just don't know if these counties are eager to step up to the plates because I, I think they're the counties that are represented by super conservative racist Republicans who uh, rush to sort of sabotage Amendment 4 in the first place. And they're probably going to look at these big blue counties that are instituting programs uh, with rocket dockets. And they're going to say, oh, well, those are just, you know, liberal elites trying to absolve ex-felons. And we're not going to do that. We're going to be law and order Republicans. And so I would be surprised if they adopted it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I wonder a little bit whether the advocacy groups, which have been important to implementing these rocket dockets in the bigger counties, whether 
they're doing the work to reach out to the rural counties because it may be an advantage for them to just work with the bigger counties where they have more connections, maybe more resources and more voters who might be sympathetic to the causes they're interested in. Yeah, I, I think that's a possibility. But, you know, the, the prosecutors and and public defenders and clerks of the court in these big counties know the prosecutors and public defenders and clerks of the court in these small counties. They are talking to each other. They are looking at what they're doing. And I think that at this stage, there are four highly successful programs in four big counties that littler counties could easily adopt if they wanted to. I'm not sure that at this stage, the onus is on the advocates to get these other counties on board. It it seems like they have a pretty clear template that they they could adopt and, and get to work in the next few weeks or months. And there's just no indication that they're eager to do so. Uh, and so I just don't want to lay yet another task at the feet of these advocates who have been so heroic and, and courageous on this already. These advocates, they're looking at the same math the rest of us are. They see that Donald Trump won this state by just one point. Barack Obama did, too, back in 2012. Giving felons the right to vote It could change all that math. But Mark Joseph Stern says we're not going to know how until Election Day. Florida is such a closely divided state, and it seems like Florida's Republicans are so enthralled uh, with Donald Trump that there's no betting which way the state's going to go in 2020. I mean, there's no way to know if it's going to flip for Trump or not, because, again, these, these elections in Florida seem to come down to, like, the last couple of votes tallied. Mark Joseph Stern, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Mark Joseph Stern writes about the law and the courts for Slate. All right, that is the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mara Silvers, Jason DeLeon, and Mary Wilson. I'm Mary Harris. When this show is over, you can go find me on Twitter. If you need some incentive, I am going to be retweeting some proof that Mark Joseph Stern was indeed a completely wonky teenager. It's a picture of him dressed up like trickle-down economics for Halloween. Yeah, he really did that in high school. I'm at Mary's desk. Go look me up. I will catch you back here tomorrow.